0: Is he, is he your Savior? Yes. Amen. Wow, what an amazing baptism we had this morning. Amazing baptism testimony. I love every baptism. This morning was just a, an amazing uh, testimony of a young man who has come to know Christ and is following Him. And, and uh, I, I'm sorry that you weren't there. Um, that's the way it works, you know. You have to come to both services like me. <laughs> and Then you get to see all this stuff. <clears throat> but I want to tell you that, that that's one of the kind of neat things to be on staff here is we get to hear about the great things that God is doing, and I can tell you that God is very, very active among us. He is stirring our hearts. He's stirring the hearts of people, and it's almost that picture of the, the, the mother eagle in the nest who's, who's stirring the eaglets out of the nest, and... and um, pushing them to soar, in the, in, in the, under the, that the air would lift them up, or the Holy Spirit would lift them up. And um, I, I just want to assure you that uh, you can be encouraged because God is doing great things in people's lives. Some people formerly lost and God is drawing them to himself. Others who are, who are being uh, challenged in their walk of faith and, and are walking uh, more... Uh, um, Energized in His presence, and at the same time, the enemy of our hearts is is at work, and and uh, so continue to pray for each other and and um, and uh, keep yourself in close relationship with Jesus Christ in these days. Um, I want you to turn your Bibles to Galatians. You know, we are we are tackling some really tough stuff here. This is really. Um, In some ways complex theology and I'm not just making that up as you read the commentaries and those who've written on these things uh, this is not easy stuff and this morning is no exception it's it's that text that we all know I mean we we all know I have been crucified with Christ I no longer live we know that we know that text but what does it mean what does it mean in our lives what's the application the significant application in our lives It does no good to rhyme that off if you're not in fact living it, and that's what we want to talk to you about this morning, that uh, I've come to learn that by living long enough among the human race that there are many ways to miss out on salvation, but there's only one way to receive it and live it out, and that's what we want to continue to drill into your hearts in this uh, letter to the Galatians that we've been working our way through. And this morning, in particular, I want to zero in on what I think is the theme of a section we're going to look at, from verses 15 to 21 in chapter 2. This is really the, um, the explanation part. Uh, Paul really summarizes what he had challenged the Apostle Peter with a few verses before. If you were here last week, you know that we talked about the challenge that Peter was having in his own life, uh, whereby he had embraced a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and he was... He had embraced faith in Christ, but he was also holding on to rules and rituals and old standards and was trying to juggle both of them in his life, and it wasn't Christ alone. And he had come to the place in Antioch, and he had uh, impacted the people there and had given the impression that if they wanted to be saved, they would have to practice the laws of Moses. And Paul is completely exercised by this. And the explanation that we're going to talk about this morning is is sort of the summary theology. I think he had a longer discussion with Peter than these few verses, but he tightens it up. And man, does he tighten it up. I mean, there is perhaps nothing written in all of Scripture that is so descriptive in such a few verses of really significant theology. So you have to understand that, that what Paul is trying to teach us here is is to move Peter from his idea that he could have Jesus and have the law too, to Christ alone, this is the explanation. But in doing so, he opens up for us a whole vista of other possibilities, of missing the mark, of missing what it means to, to really rely on the Lord Jesus Christ. And I think as you, when you look at verse 20, you really come up with a theme of this section which is living by faith in the Son of God. To me, that's the biggest challenge next to salvation itself in the Christian life, is learning what it really means to live by faith in Jesus Christ alone. That's what I want to look at this morning with you. And uh, we're going to challenge you at the end with an application to this, because there are likely some things or something in the way... Of living by faith in Christ alone. That's residing in your life. It's nestled itself into your life. And it is in the way. And we want to see uh, God rid us of that. So the goal is living by faith in the Son of God. Which, by the way, is the normal Christian life. I'm not going to be teaching you something this morning that is only for missionaries. Or or for some people who have reached a higher echelon in the spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. This is to be the expected relationship and normal life of every Christian this is what Christianity is this is the amazing blessing of Christianity is that we get to live by faith in the son of God but living it out is another thing this morning I want to unpackage uh, this text and it um, it is is not only important but incredibly challenging I won't be able to do, it, do a service to it exhaustively, but I, I really do hope that it, it challenges your heart as it has my own. In fact, uh, God has revealed to me very significantly a couple of things that are in the way in my life of walking by faith alone in Jesus Christ. They're in the way. And um, I, I'm, I'm uh, putting that before the Lord who's put it before me to deal with, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. But we're looking at stuff this morning like faith, What is real faith? Real saving faith? We're looking at law. We're looking at justification. What does that mean? We're going to look at dying to the law. We're looking at living for God. We're going to look at crucified with Christ. We're going to look at no longer living but still being alive. We're going to look at living in the flesh but by faith. And we're going to get you home for lunch. We're going to do all of that and we're still going to have lunch today. So um, I I just want to mention to you that we're going to have a question and answer opportunity tonight. Come on back. I've got some things to say to you about Galatians and Galatians. Do some mop-up work and work a little bit and, and give you opportunity to say, hey, did you say this? And I'll be able to say back, no, you think I said that, but I didn't really say that. And you're going to get the tape out and say, wait a second, I need to replay the tape here. You said that. And I said, well, I didn't mean that. This is what I meant. So we're going we're to get together tonight and do a little bit of that. So uh, come on back and, and uh, because I, I don't want any confusion about this. This is, this is the, the vital walk of faith with Christ that we need to know and do and practice in our lives. So I, I want to look this morning at, at four possible ways that you might be off track or are possible that you could be off track and not living by faith in Christ alone. And then we want to really hammer down an application as to what we need to be doing about this. And the first really comes out of the text. I'll, I'll read verse 15 to 21, and then we'll, we'll look at the text. We who are Jews by faith, or by birth, I should say, and not Gentile sinners. So he's already identified two types of people. Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now we're going to have to know what justified is. So we too have put our faith in Christ, Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law. Because by observing the law, no one will be justified. If, while we seek to be justified in Christ, It becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners. Does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Let me just stop here for a second because I don't want to read this whole text and say, I don't even know what justified means. Justified in a very simple way means accepted by God. There's more theological freight to it than that, and we'll talk talk about a little bit more in, in this body of the sermon, but it simply means accepted by God. And so, if while we seek to be accepted in Christ, it becomes evident that we ourselves are sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. If I rebuild what I destroyed, I prove that I am a lawbreaker. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me let me stop there for a second that is the theme verse of every single believer in this room this morning this is true of every single one of you what is challenging is whether or not you are living out the benefits and blessings of what that really means that's at issue I do not set aside the grace of God For if righteousness could be gained through the law or justification or acceptance to God could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. And keep in mind that everybody in that audience of the Apostle Paul believed that Jesus died and rose again. They knew that was true. So he was bringing to them something they realized had really happened. And he's simply saying... That if you want to continue to live the way you are and hold on to what you're holding on, then Jesus died for nothing. You think God the Father wasted his son on the cross? That's what Paul's saying. Father, I just pray this morning that you'll really open up our hearts and our minds and help us to really embrace the the theology of this text. Not for the sake of an intellectual exercise. God forbid that it would be that in us. But Lord, that you would reach deep into our hearts and grab hold of them and stir them and and, uh, cause us, Father, to be dissatisfied if if we are not at the place where we're living by faith in Christ alone. Father, I pray that a deep dissatisfaction would settle into our hearts. A deep restlessness, as the kids sang this morning, that that we are not resting in you. We are not living by faith in you. But we are relying on other things. Lord, I, I just, I know that your heart will not be satisfied until every one of your children in this place, first of all, that everyone in this room is your child, and that secondly, that every one of your children is walking by faith in the Son of God alone. And so because I know I'm praying in the will of God, I'm asking you to do in our lives what you want done, I have confidence, Lord. I have confidence that the Spirit of God by His power will rest upon us, and powerful things will occur in this room As it did in the room a couple of hours ago, Lord. Now I thank you for your amazing presence, your amazing grace. And now I ask that you give me the ability to speak your word to your people for your glory. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first category of people that he outlines here, or names here, is uh, Gentile Sinners. He talks about um, those, by way of description, who have been relying on their own personal standards of right and wrong. They've been living by themselves. Because they had no background, no consciousness of the law of God, no consciousness of the standards of God. And I would submit to you that while this was talking about 2,000 years ago, This is as modern as it gets. We look around ourselves and and say we are surrounded at our workplace, in our neighborhoods, at our schools, in the marketplace, by people who Paul would call Gentile sinners. They have absolutely no conscious sense of the living God or the reality of God. They have no sense of moral standards at all. They have no sense of uh, of right and wrong. You know this. You, all you have to do is go out and minister on the streets. You can talk to people. You say to people, you heard of Jesus? They'll say, I don't know who Jesus is. I've never heard of Jesus. I, I've heard that name mentioned in, a, in a, a curse word, but I've never heard of Jesus. I don't know who he is. They don't know what Christmas means. They, they, they don't understand the things of the scriptures. They don't believe in a creator God. They've never heard of God. They don't know anything about him. They don't know anything about Calvary. Now, I'm not talking about the church here either. I'm talking about the real thing where the crucifixion took place. They've never heard of that. In fact, I can't tell you the number of times that people have asked me where I work and I say Calvary Baptist Church and they say Calgary Baptist Church? Because the word Calvary is like a foreign word to them. Or they may change it. Or is it cal- Cavalry? you're saying? Is that where you work? Cavalry Baptist Church? Say no Calvary Baptist Church. I have to spell it for them. C-A-L-V-A-R-Y. They're like They have no idea. They have no religious memory at all. They have no sense of right and wrong. No sense of moral standards. And for those of you who are old like me, you know that that in this generation, for the most part, the moorings for the moral standards were cut loose in the 60s. That's when everything became free. You could do whatever you want. Right and wrong suddenly became your own opinion. The Judeo-Christian moral standard was beginning to erode significantly quickly from the 60s on. And now as we watch around ourselves the legal system jettison all memory of Judeo-Christian kind of law, any possibilities that even our legal system might help us out by being able to say, well, the reason this law is this is because we have a living God in heaven who is a God of justice and morality. As those things are being jettisoned out of the marketplace, we're having... Virtually nothing to be able to point to outside of creation, which still exists, to give people any sense of the reality of God at all. And these are the kind of people that Paul was talking about. They are Gentile sinners. They don't know anything about the law. They've never heard of the law. They don't live by the standards of rules or morality or right or wrong or anything like that. And Paul says, Peter, we're not one of those. Because we've been privileged to grow up Paul and Peter are talking, in a religious system that pointed to the living God. Now, we didn't know how to properly understand the nature of a relationship with him, but we at least had a memory and a teaching from God's word. And many of us in this room grew up in that kind of context as well. And so, this is the landscape that we are doing much of our evangelism in. And what do we do? We need to be people of prayer. Prayer, particularly, that God would work in the hearts of people who have virtually no moral conscience to produce in them some sort of sense of need. We not only have to do that, but we have to demonstrate the love of Christ in our own lives and to the experience of that love in Christ that, that kind of is bizarre, that, that, that is unexplainable unless there is a God in heaven. Why are you like you are? Why do you love me? Why do you care about me? We have to demonstrate that kind of thing. We have to also pray that, that somehow the living God would reintroduce to them some sense of morality. Because without a sense of guilt over sinfulness, you can hardly be rescued to righteousness. Uh, unless you are prepared to, to admit to being a sinner you can hardly be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's the total me kind of person. When we're talking about a verse like, I have been crucified with Christ, they are total I. It is all about them. Capital I, gigantic, bold, biggest font you can possibly get, I. That's who they are. It's all about them. Paul talks about The category of himself and Peter, for instance, he says "The we who are Jews by birth. Now, what kind of people are these? These are those who have pride in race and customs and background. They're the people who've been relying on the religious standards and customs of their upbringing or background. They've been living by rules and rituals and believing that by doing that, they're acceptable to God. By performance, by activity. We have all kinds of people in our world like that as well. Some of your neighbors are like that. They're observers of some sort of religion or ritual or custom or by race. They think they have some sort of special acceptability to the living God. I was born into this race and we are, therefore, I'm in good with God. That's who Paul's talking about when he talks about Jews by birth, that that somehow they can attempt, make an attempt at self-salvation. Paul writes to them here in verse uh, 16, know that a man is not acceptable to God by observing the law. Not by observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be acceptable to God. And so he gets that right out there. This whole idea of justification. And then in verse 21, he says, listen, if, if right standing could be gained with God through the law, then Christ died for nothing. If you think you can rely on some sort of religious background or the keeping of religious traditions... And be acceptable to God. Paul says you have another thing coming to you. And by the way. If that's some sort of Christianized ritual religion. Then Christ died for nothing. Now justification. Just so we understand. Is an act of God's gracious will. To declare someone righteous. To declare someone right with God. That's what justification means. It's the gracious act of God who in his grace, because of his gift, he gifts you the state of righteousness. Paul is referring to people who have been trying to live by the law. And any of us who try to live by rules or rituals, we know it's a hit and miss thing. We can't live it out perfectly. And so the Apostle Paul says that that by hitting and missing on the rules and rituals and, and, and religious customs, by hitting and missing, you, you think you're acceptable to God when God's standard is 100% righteous. And the only way that you can have that, he says in the text, is to be justified, or be declared by God to be righteous, by faith in Jesus Christ. That's um, the only way a holy God will be satisfied. And somebody had to pay for the fact that you and I are people who hit and miss at the law. And that person was Jesus Christ. Who lived the law perfectly. And went to the cross of Calvary and paid the penalty because we couldn't keep the law. And so he paid the penalty for our our sinfulness. So that we could be declared by God, if we would respond to Jesus Christ in faith, we could be declared by God, by his grace, righteous. So that when God sees each one of us, he declares us 100% perfect in Christ Jesus. That's what justification means. And here's the grace of God. Here's the the magnitude of the grace of God. He, first of all, awakens each of us, each sinner, to our state of sinfulness. He, by His grace, awakens us to a sense of sinfulness. And then He enables us to have faith in Christ's sinless, sacrificial, perfect work on our behalf. He enables us, by His grace... To have faith, to trust, to believe that Christ has done what the word of God says Christ has done. And then he declares each of us permanently, forever, right with God. That's what the essence of justification is. It's an amazing thing. And not one of those things had anything to do with us. Every single one of them was sourced in God alone. He was the one who prompted each thing to occur. To to well up in us a sense of sinfulness that we would sense our need of a Savior. To move in our lives to enable us to have faith. And then, by His grace, to declare us righteous, what we could never do for ourselves. So Paul says to Peter, what part exactly, Peter, does keeping the law have to do with any of that? Nada. Not a thing. There isn't anything in your background. There isn't anything in your religious rituals. There isn't anything in your attention to religious details. There isn't anything in your behavior or keeping of the rules or the customs or any of that. It doesn't matter how many times you've kneeled or stood up or how many confessional boxes you walked into. It doesn't matter how many communions you've ever had. It doesn't matter how many times you've ever been to church. It is God who declares you Righteous enabling you to sense your consciousness of sin, enabling you to, by faith, believe in Jesus Christ, and then to have him declare you righteous. It's all of God. So why, Peter? Why, beloved, would you think that you could be more acceptable to God by your rules and your customs and your rituals? Jesus has done everything to make you fully acceptable to God. That's the theology of the Bible. Not just Galatians. Keeping the law could never do that. Because we can't keep the law perfectly. <clears throat> and then, So he talks though, he makes a companion statement here between justification and faith. Notice what it says, in the, no, notice the text here in verse 16. Knowing that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'll say it to you a thousand times if I say it to you Once. You are only able to have faith in Jesus Christ because of God's grace enabling you to. This is not a work whereby you engineer some sort of faith in Christ and then God justifies you. No. It's a single act of justification where God declares you righteous on on the basis of his enabling you to have faith. And it's a saving faith. Now here's the problem. There are many people who do not understand the nature of this faith that we're talking about here. And too many people have been relying on a decision, but there is no devotion to Christ. And so in their lifestyle, they've said, yes, I've uh, I've responded to Christ, but, but they don't live for Christ. They live for themselves. Now, you've probably encountered people and you say to them, hey, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Yes, I believe in Jesus Christ. Of course I do. Sure, he's the son of God. Yes, he, he, in fact, um, he, he, uh, back in the day, he, he went to the cross and, and died on a cross. In, in, I think the place was called Calvary and, and died for people's sins. Yeah, I believe in that. You're looking at the way they live and they're like, why do you live like hell then? Here's the thing. Satan believes everything I just told you. Satan believes in Jesus Christ. Satan believes that that Jesus is the Son of God. Satan knows he's the Son of God. Satan knows that he went to Calvary. Satan was there. Satan knows that he died on a cross for sins. He knows that he was buried in a grave. He knows that he rose the third day. Is Satan justified? Help me out here. I got to at least know you know that. It's not, it's not. So what is this faith that we're talking about here? It's a difference, by the way, and this is a key, a key issue. in our. Listen, the issue here is the difference between life and death. It's the difference between heaven and hell. There's a great gulf fixed between that kind of faith and real saving faith. There's a great gulf fixed between decision faith and devotion faith. There's a great gulf fixed between devilish faith and saving faith. This justification faith that's talked about here is not faith about Jesus. It is faith in Jesus Christ and all that he has done. And it means something. One writer has said by definition, this kind of faith is the initial and the continual response of trust in and obedience to Christ by a person because of the gracious acceptance of God. This is, this is a, when a man or a woman is declared acceptable to God by God's grace, that same grace produces in them an accompanying response of faith in Christ. It, it is this, uh, it's this declaration by God that declares us righteous, and in that declaration, he enables us to have true saving faith, which has a distinct look to it. It's not just an initial decision. It's a devotion to Christ that moves to trusting Christ with all of my heart. It it, it moves to obeying Christ. It moves to obeying the Word of God. That's what real saving faith is. We look around sometimes and we say, "I, I get so confused about people, how they're living like this and they're living like that. Listen, not everybody who says, Jesus, Jesus, is really saved. And one of my... One of my urgent heart passions here is that, that Calvary Baptist Church, there would never be anybody who would sit here for year after year after year and think they were saved and they weren't. I, I have no problem with producing a little bit of tension in your heart because the word of God says test and see that you are really His. Test your salvation. And I can tell you that real faith of the justified, those who are really justified, they believe the gospel. They really believe the gospel. They, they obey the truth. And they walk in the spirit. The justified, you see, are just. Those who've made, been made holy by the living God live holy lives. Perfect lives? No. Holy lives? Yes. Yes. Those who've been forgiven by the living Christ, forgive. Th- those who've been loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, love. Those who've been rescued by Christ, rescue. Those who have cashed in their reliance and dependence upon their physical life, really walk by the Spirit. That's what's at stake here, is true saving faith. Timothy George in his commentary says, Not only are we justified by faith, but we also live by faith. This means that saving faith cannot be reduced to a one-time decision or event in the past. It is a living, dynamic reality permeating every aspect of the believer's life. Paul um, talks... Fourthly about another type of person which is really defining Peter and some of the others whereby they had embraced Jesus and now it's Jesus and me. And maybe some in here are really there. I think that's possible. You've found yourself trying to live by faith in Christ but trusting in religious standards as well. Living by fear and by failure, thinking that acceptability to God is measured by your attention to keeping certain church custom rules, which gets in the way of living by faith in Christ Jesus. And often what happens, and here's the grave danger, when it's Jesus and me, is I find it easier to participate in the external rules of the community customs and think that I'm really in good space with God because everybody at church thinks I am because of how I externally behave. And we start to increasingly rely on our attention to external Strength instead of living by faith in the Son of God. And so we have become, we've begun to live all over again by sight, not by faith. Miss the blessing of dying to the law so that you can live for God and not it. Do you notice in the text what Paul positions in front of, I have been crucified with Christ, he first of all says, for through the law I died to the law. What does he mean? He means that Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. Something we could never do and do not do and can't do. We can't keep any church rules perfectly. Jesus Christ kept the law perfectly. And then went to the cross to pay the price of our inability to keep the law. And the punishment that goes with that, which is death. So that Paul could correctly say, Peter, listen. Through the law, which pointed to Jesus Christ, the one who kept the law perfectly, who went to the cross and died on the cross to pay the penalty that Because I couldn't keep the law, so now I have died to the law. I can't keep the law. I don't have to keep the law. Christ has kept it for me. What I have to do is live by faith in Christ. That's it. The great failure is to miss the comprehensiveness and sufficiency of Christ. And I know this because of how I grew up in, in my own thinking you the, the, see, the, the, the good Jew was good and in good standing by God because he did two things. He kept the law and he never hung around with Gentile sinners. And I kind of remember that that's the way I was raised. Rick, keep the rules and don't hang around with any ungodly people because they'll, they'll wreck your life. And so that'll make you acceptable to God. That'll make you a great Baptist. And, and that's exactly what these guys came up to Antioch and said to the new Christians. They said, okay, here's what you've got to do. You've got to keep the rules, you've got to keep the commandments, and don't hang out with Gentile sinners. Because they'll corrupt you. And what they were in effect saying is, they were, they were afraid that, that if you didn't keep the rules, that, that, that uh, you wouldn't be acceptable to God. And if you hung out, you would lose your separation and your distinctiveness. And what they were in effect saying is that if you really hang your hat with Christ alone, man, he's going to lead you into sinfulness. He's going to lead you into wanton sinfulness. And he's going to lead you into worldliness. With Pretty soon, you're not going to look any different than the world. That's what they're afraid of. That's what Peter says, what if we find out when we've been justified that all of a sudden we're sinners? Does that mean that Christ is causing us to sin? Is it, is it, are, are we so unaware of the power of of the saving work of Christ in our lives, that that somehow, if we trust in Him alone, if we have faith in Christ alone, that, that somehow, Christ won't be able to hold us away from wanton sinfulness and worldliness. Nothing could be further from the truth. Our attempts externally to hold on to rules and keep ourselves separated from bad people will exactly do the opposite. I can tell you this morning, I was here this morning at baptism, remember I told you? The young guy Joel who was baptized? We didn't give him a rule book. He's coming out of the tank. I, you know, I didn't get up out of the bench here and say, you know, John, Johnny was baptizing him. I didn't walk over here and say, hey, by the way, you know, your, your, your life with Christ here, I, I, know, I know Christ saved you, but, but here's some rules that'll keep you and grow you. No. Do you know what happened in that baptismal tank, which is really what happens in our lives and, and is a is a visual for our ongoing life? We take this person in and they confess that they have been. Uh, been saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. They've been declared righteous. They were enabled to, to have faith in Christ and believe in Him. They came to a conscious awareness of their sinfulness. And then you know what we do? We say, then, then therefore, you have been so identified with Christ, crucified with Christ, you've been so identified with Christ that we're now going to bury you with Christ and we're going to rise you up with Christ to a newness of life in Christ. Isn't that something? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. That's the normal Christian life. It's to be the normal Christian life. The reason we haven't been able to trust Christ alone is because we have seen too many people who have wandered away and live horrible lives because they were never saved in the first place. It's not a problem with theology. It's a problem with true, genuine salvation. It's never occurred in their lives. When salvation has occurred in your life, the Christ who saved you will be the Christ who grows you. And that's what Paul wants here. He wants Christ to grow us. Well, how do I conclude this this morning? We've talked about me, me, me. We've talked about performance and religious rituals. We've talked about mostly me and a little tiny bit of Jesus. We've talked about Jesus and me. You know what I want to conclude with this morning? Jesus alone. Because that's the normal Christian life. That's what it says here. I have been crucified with Christ. I no longer live The normal Christian life is Jesus alone. No more me. I no longer live. This is what Peter was struggling with. This is what believers struggle with. And you know what it leads to? Fear and failure. If you try to mix this thing up, you will live with fear and failure instead of faith in Jesus alone. I want to conclude this morning by imploring you to live by faith. Saying, I've been doing that for years. You know what? I discovered that I have as well been living by faith for years. But I realized in this study and in God's convicting work in my life, team, come on up, music team, come on up. The convicting work in my life, I had realized That there is some me in the way of living by faith in the Son of God alone. There is some stuff in my life that is flesh stuff that I rely on. And and you know what? There's a possibility there are many possibilities that are that are in the way in your life of living fully free to be f- faith and to have faith in the son of God to live by that alone to have him lead us by his word by the spirit of God by faith in Christ alone now, now maybe for you it's different than for me it, it, maybe it's it's you're, you're hung up on, on rationalism. You're hung up on reasoning. You know, you can't live by faith in Jesus Christ because everything has to run through the grid of your rationality, your reasoning. Maybe you can't live by faith in Jesus Christ because you've never responded to him in true saving faith. You made a decision, but it wasn't devotion to Christ. You didn't intend to follow him or obey him. He didn't grab a hold of your life. Maybe... Um, Maybe it's been the church rules that have been your way, in your way of faith in Christ. You've been basically relying on the externals. You've been relying on your attention to the matters of customs of the community. And that's in the way of living with, like Christ. You, you can't even hear Christ because all you see is the rules and that's what you do. I don't know, maybe you have uh, got confidence only in the things that you see. If I don't see it, I can't do it. You can't live by faith in the Son of God if that's required of you. We live by faith, not by sight. If you're trying to rely on your savvy, that's in the way. If you're trying to rely on your activity, that gets in the way of faith in Jesus alone. Your performance. Maybe you're you're relying on other people's acceptance of you and the pressure of the peers around you to conform to, to some sort of likeness of the customs. Well, that's getting in the way of faith in Jesus Christ alone. Maybe there's some satanic stuff really nailing itself into your life. Maybe maybe uh, something that someone did to you years ago that you've, you've been trying to put, put away for, forever and ever and Satan keeps bringing that thing up and plunking it right in front of you so you can't live by faith in Christ alone. Or, or maybe it's um, not something that someone... Uh, you did to some, 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 someone did to you, but something that you did to someone, and, and Christ keeps bring, or, or the Satan keeps bringing that up in your life, and you can't get rid of that. I mean, the apostle Paul was a murderer. You think the evil one didn't try to keep putting that up in his face? He says, "Hey, wait a second. I, I've been crucified with Christ. I no longer live. The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith." in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or maybe it's something else. I don't know. But it's pre- preventing you from living by faith. Maybe you're, um, you're just a Bible head. You, you just study the word of God and just getting biblical knowledge as an end in itself. You don't hear from God. You just read about him. There's a card A little piece of paper And perhaps as I was speaking The spirit of God grabbed hold of your soul And said that's you That's in the way of faith That's in the way of full devotion to Christ And fully letting him have his way in your life To to lead you and to do with with you what he wants As I said I, I was actually first to pin something up there this morning two things actually i'm not in a hurry for this to happen in fact uh, this is going to be up for a couple of weeks so we can think about these things and allow the spirit of god to really challenge us because we have to get this right but if god has spoken to you clearly this morning about what's in the way of you living fully for god of living fully by faith in the son of god and you know for sure what it is you jot it down on here and come up and pin it on that cross. We're going to do a visual. Positionally, you've been crucified with Christ. Now, in practice, it's time to, stop, to say no to the flesh that's in the way. And yes to faith in Jesus. I'm going to invite you to stand now as we close. And if God has put something on your heart, then you come up here. And then I'm going to pray right after. After, we've, uh, after God has uh, finished his work with us this morning. I'm going to pray that God will enable you by his strength to have a new release, to live by faith in a way that perhaps you've never, ever lived before, that God would break forth among us in powerful, powerful ways. Team, let's sing. As we close this morning, I would encourage you not to let the evil one convince you that you have no flesh in you, that you have no barriers or obstacles or hurdles to faith in Christ alone that nothing ever wells up in you that refuses to live by faith. For then you continue on and you look in the word of God and you walk away like the person who looked in the word and forgot as soon as he walked away. These are days to get serious with the Lord about your spiritual condition and your health. And our health is not good. God is at work among us, but our spiritual health is not good. For if it was good, we'd be standing the city on its head. So my heart's desire and passion is that God would first work in my heart and my life and would work in your life. Please do not leave this morning and forget what we've heard or fail to come before God and with a time of soul searching say, Lord, how, how do I need to fill out this piece of paper? What do I need to nail in the cross to remind myself that there's a certain I that was crucified with Jesus and no longer am I going to have it in the way of faith in Christ. Our Father, I pray a blessing on each of these who've come forward this morning. Knowing full well that no work, no activity, no action can transform our heart but this is an admittance Father to you that we need you we're relying on you we're depending on you there are things in our lives that must go different ways of doing things that must be moved aside flesh, me, I that although was crucified at Calvary has continued to surface and get in the way of me saying, yes, Lord. Immediately, Lord. Whatever you want, Lord. Wherever you want, Lord. However you want, Lord. I just pray, Father, that as you help us to recognize what's in the way, you will also, by the same power that saved us, change us. Let us not rely on flesh for it failed us every time. Let us rely entirely on faith in what Jesus Christ alone is and can do in our lives. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.